Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So if kids through fifth grade are dismissed, and you can stay and hang out with us if you'd like, or you can um, go back to your classes. It's nice having you guys with us. <laughs> okay. Okay, so um, last week I had some information. Is it okay to tell this real quick? Okay, so last week I had some information that was incorrect. And I am a big enough man to be able to admit when I make a mistake. So <clears throat> after service, I, I gave some wrong information about uh, the sweet baby Kasseri and, and how long Melissa was in labor. And I, I went to the back of the room. It's okay, I have permission. My wife's like, <sighs> so I went to the back of the room, <clears throat> Chad Ackerman, one of your beloved ushers and shepherd team members came up to me and said, you're gonna, that's gonna come back and bite you for saying that. Because I said, Melissa was spoiled. She was in labor for 40 minutes. And uh, he said, first of all, you never use the word spoiled with anything having to do with child labor. You should know this. So, um, <clears throat> and second, she was not in, she was in labor for 19 hours. So it's a little bit of a difference. <laughs> She was pushing for 40 minutes, so give me a break. I guess there's a difference. Um, so I, I'm sorry, Melissa. It, no, I'm okay, okay. <laughs> and I repent for all the guys are looking at me like, shut up. Chad's back. Chad stuck his head in the back. He's upset. <laughs> it has been great being your pastor, and I've had a blast. And uh, uh, I cannot go off script. All right. Um, Let's get to the Bible quickly here. Um, a couple announcements. The first one is serve team celebration. Uh, if you have served on our serve team, and some of you just can't even listen to anything else I say. Um, if you have served in our serve team from any point, uh, the beginning of Southside uh, up to uh, today, uh, you and your spouse, uh, we don't have childcare for this, so you gotta leave the kids at home, but it'll be a date night for you. You and your spouse are are invited to join us, whether that's nursery, toddler, kids, uh, anything kids ministry, music, tech, sound, um, anything, usher, security team. Uh, we're inviting you to celebrate with us at Thunderhead Pines, Saturday or Wednesday, September 7, 7 to 9 p.m. And it's just going to be a time of celebration. It's not high programming. It's just going to be, we're going to be together, have a meal together, and just remember the, some of the cool things that God has done and is doing at Southside. So um, there's information on your bulletin about that. You just need to email uh, Bree Tishner and, let, and reserve your spot. And then Sunday, October 23rd, 5 p.m. is going to be our next potluck. It's going to be a fall fest. We're doing it uh, in the evening. And that's something that we're hoping that you'll feel comfortable to invite friends to. It's going to be pumpkin carving, there's going to be a trophy necklace, <laughs> some bling for the person who has the best chili. Uh, we're going to have a pie contest. It's going to be a lot of fun just hanging out 5 to 8 on October 23rd, 5 p.m. Guys, we have a, a Thursday, that Thursday, the 20th, we have a guys night here too from 7 to 9, so you'll be hearing more about that later. All right, Ephesians 6. 10 and 11, but don't turn there yet. I'm just going to read you this, and then you're going to turn somewhere else. 
We've been sitting on this verse, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And we've been talking about what are these schemes exactly that he's talking about? What, what are the schemes of the devil? And if his, if his goal is to, to steal our tranquility and our peace in Christ, if his goal is to, um, to divide us and to keep the gospel from spreading, what are the ways that he does that? What are the schemes? And a couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that he accuses us. And last week was he seduces us. And this week, he divides us. And I want to focus on how Satan wants to divide us from God. Because if he can divide us from God, then he'll certainly be able to divide us from one another. But today, though, I want us to think about what is it, how does Satan go about trying to keep us away from God? And as a follower of Jesus and as people who are not followers of Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, his goal is to convince you to not become a Christian. He doesn't want you to enter into a relationship with Jesus. So he's going to do everything he can to to convince you that that's not necessary and that's not good. If you are a Christian, he wants to keep you from experiencing the full measure of joy and peace, the twin pillars of life in Christ, joy and peace. Joy and peace are what gets us through any type of suffering that we experience in life. And so um, Satan doesn't want us to actually experience true joy and true peace if we're in the family of God. He wants us to experience a weaker, watered-down version of walking with Christ. And he keeps us divided from God mainly by planting seeds of suspicion in our minds about God. So I want to eavesdrop in on a conversation that Satan had with Eve. Very back in the beginning of the Bible. So if you do have your Bibles with you, this is an easy one to find. It's Genesis. It's, it's the very first book in the Bible. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's totally fine. You can look online, you can look on your phone, or you can just listen. Any one of those is fine. If you do have your Bible and you want to follow along, it's go back to Genesis chapter 3, and that's going to be our passage for today. This is one of Satan's schemes to divide us from God. He's been trying to do it from the very beginning, as we're about to see. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. Now it doesn't say anywhere particularly that the serpent was Satan, but I think we can assume that it was. There, are, there is a little bit of debate about that, but I think it actually was. I think that he was, Satan was embodied as this, this creature. And the word crafty, does anyone in here study Hebrew or know how to speak Hebrew? Okay, good, so I'm not going to be self-conscious about this because I'm going to use some Hebrew words and I'm going to butcher them. The word crafty in Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in, is arum. It's arum. Now the word for naked, which is the verse right above that where it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, which is kind of a picture of innocence and maybe a healthy naiveness. Um, the word for that is amrumim. Crafty arum. 
naked amrumin. There's a wordplay there. And what it means, what it implies, is that Satan is looking at kind of the naive nature, the innocent nature of Adam and Eve, and he's going to use that to his advantage. We always, I mean, I always say that Christians, and I got this from Steve Brown on the radio, that Christians ought to be street smart. We're loving, we're kind, and we're street smart because the enemy is crafty and he's going to look at those areas where we're maybe naive and exploit them, which is why we're spending three whole weeks on his schemes because this is not something that's talked about often enough. We've got to know what he's up to. Let's keep reading the second half of verse 1. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Listen to his tone there. He is slippery. He's already kind of accusing and trying to divide Eve from God. From the very beginning, Satan has wanted to accuse God to humanity of being overly, unnecessarily restrictive. He wants us to think that God is restrictive for no good reason. Just arbitrary rules. And he's saying, did God actually say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? What he's implying is, man, God put you in this beautiful garden with these amazing trees and all this lush fruit coming off of these trees. And you're not allowed to eat any of them? You're not allowed to enjoying any of them? God didn't say that. We're going to get to that. But look what he's doing. It'd be kind of like saying to us, I'm going to get in trouble again here. But it'd be kind of like saying to us on Thanksgiving Day, you know, God set you at this table of this feast with this turkey and mashed potatoes and dressing and he put all of this delicious food in front of you and he, he ate. and maybe God does give us a restriction says you can't eat the cranberry sauce which is okay by me that's not a hard restriction the cranberry sauce is not good for you it's not good for your soul and God's saying don't eat the cranberry sauce but everything else you can have it'd be like Satan saying did God actually say you can't eat any of this stuff? I've offended cranberry sauce eaters, and I'm sure it's fine. I just never had it. But God's saying you can't eat just that one little thing. And Satan's like, did God actually say you can't eat anything on the table? That's not what God said. But you see what he's doing. He's twisting the perception. He's twisting Eve's perception of God. He's planting seeds of resentment. How many of you have ever been suckered into this temptation? To believe that God is unfair and unnecessarily restrictive. I have. But what did God actually say? Well, let's keep going. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, ah, no, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. 
Is that what God said? Now Eve is misrepresenting God. And whenever we misrepresent God, we divide people from him. When you say things about God that God doesn't say about himself, you always damage people's relationship with him. That's what's so like sobering about preaching. And James actually warns, not many of you should want to preach or teach because there is a little bit more accountability because if you say something wrong about God, then you could do damage. If you have the wrong tone, if you, have, if you give the wrong flavor of who God is and what he's like, if you emphasize the wrong things about God, you do damage to people. So it's a very sobering thing because when we misrepresent God, we divide people from him. And Satan did it. Eve is now doing it. Because let's look together at what God actually said. If your Bible's open, you can look at chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This is what he actually said. And the Lord God commanded the man, see, Eve didn't even hear, so I don't know whose fault this is. It's probably the guy's fault. It's probably Adam, because he told it to Adam. Adam passed it on to Eve. We don't know where the misrepresentation came. It probably came from Adam. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. What did the serpent say? You can't eat of, did God actually say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? No, he said you can eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. What did Eve add to her statement? Do you notice it? Neither shall you touch it. Uh-oh, that's the first case of legalism in Scripture. It didn't take long. Adding to what God says in calling it what he says. He didn't say, neither shall you touch it. He said, don't eat it. Satan wasn't able to convince Eve to go as far as he went, but he did get her to add a superficial restriction that God didn't actually say, and now he's got his foot in the door. You see what he did? In a way, he was planting seeds for the future for one of his most effective tools in dividing people from God, shifting our concept of obedience from the heart of the law, the meaning of the law, to the letter of the law. And that's when we get in trouble. That's when he fools even the church. He fooled the church back then, and sometimes he fools us as a church too in the same way. It's a technique Satan actually used to try to divide Jesus and the disciples. In Mark chapter 2, there's a passage where Jesus is walking with his disciples, and they travel a lot together, obviously, and they're going through a, a field of grain, and <clears throat> it's a Sabbath day. And the Pharisees had added restrictions on top of the Sabbath law to prevent people from even getting close, guardrails to prevent people from even getting close to disobeying God, and they call it law. And you're not supposed to pluck grains of, heads of grain off the grain on the Sabbath day because it was like harvesting. You're not supposed to do that. The disciples were with Jesus. It's on Sabbath. They're walking through this field, and they started plucking the heads of grain and eating it. I didn't, I didn't know you could do this. Someone's going to have to educate me. It feels like you're eating. A I don't get it, but somehow that was good. They were plucking the heads of grain, and they were eating it. 
because they were hungry. And the Pharisees saw it and they were like, Jesus, your disciples are breaking the law, the spiritual law, the moral law, the things that they added. They're breaking the law. You're, you're letting them do that? And Jesus reminds them of an Old Testament story. He said, don't you guys know your Bible? It's essentially what he said. These are the Pharisees. These are the people who knew the Bible better than anyone. And Jesus said, don't you guys remember, like in the Old Testament, David was hungry? And he was with some people, and he went into the tabernacle, and he ate the bread of the presence, 12 loaves of bread in the tabernacle and in the temple that were meant to represent God's presence to the people. And he said, don't you remember they ate that? And don't you remember that that was not legal, that wasn't right for them either, because it was just supposed to be the the priests that ate that bread, but David ate it, and he wasn't a priest, but it was okay because he was hungry. Don't you remember that? And then he said, guys, the Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. In other words, this is a gift to you. And you're like twisting it and adding all these rules and regulations to the point where Sabbath actually is more difficult than any other day of the week. You have to work harder at not obeying all your rules. Satan has a way of shifting us from the heart and spirit behind the moral ethical law of scripture to the letter of it. And whenever you make that shift, you know what happens? You get very grumpy and you get very judgmental. How do you know if I'm becoming a legalistic Christian? I'm getting grumpy and judgmental. It's a dead giveaway. Both those things happen. And that's what Satan wants. And that describes the the religious leaders of of Jesus' day. And think about this. What does it tell us about Jesus that his disciples felt the freedom to do that knowing that the Pharisees had made a law against it and were gonna be angry. What does it tell us about Jesus that the disciples did it anyways? Satan tried to use their accusation, the Pharisees' accusation, to divide the disciples from Jesus and divide Jesus from the disciples. And when Eve added this phrase, neither shall you touch it, she was adding a restriction that God didn't actually give them. And it planted a seed, I'm sure, of resentment in her thinking because it made God appear to be unnecessarily restrictive. Do you think the Pharisees' rules about Sabbath that they added were unnecessarily restrictive? Yeah. Do we do that? I think every single one of us should have personal, people call them boundaries, guardrails, against, you know, against certain things that we're tempted, more tempted to do than others. Certain people shouldn't go in bars. Certain people shouldn't watch certain movies. There's things that we need to have personal rules for ourselves, but guess what? You don't need to share that with other people. And you certainly better not enforce them on other people. That's when you get in trouble. Be harder on yourself than anybody else and don't brag about it. (laughs) Nobody cares about your restrictions. It doesn't make you less holy. It just shows how weak you are. And we all need those. But don't ever enforce your personal guardrails on anybody else. All right. Even above and beyond that, 
even above and beyond the fact that Eve added something to what God said. Her focus was in the wrong place to begin with, and that was Satan's doing to get her there because she emphasized the one restriction that God gave them instead of the wide open generous field that he offered them, the incredible freedom that he offered them. I mean, she could have emphasized, no, I'm not gonna start thinking about that one thing and there's probably a really good reason for it. Actually, look around, serpent. Look how beautiful this place is. Go back to the Thanksgiving table scene and Satan's beside you at Thanksgiving and he's whispering to you, Okay, God, I mean, okay, so maybe it's just that, but there, why, is he, why are you not allowed having the cranberry sauce? Like, why are you not allowed eating that? That's where Satan wants our mind to go. Instead of saying, what are you talking about? Look at this, this bread in front of us. This is amazing. Turkey, mashed potatoes, a green bean casserole weird thing with the dried onions on top of it. I mean, all this stuff is amazing. Like, I love this stuff. And you're trying to get me to be upset. I'm not going to be upset about that. But she went with him. He tricked Eve into taking her mind off the tremendous goodness and generous provision of God to focus on the one restriction. I think this is where her husband, Adam, should have stepped in in the same way that she could have done for him when he was tempted and said, babe, look around you. Look at this place. Look at this provision. Look at how beautiful the trees are. Look at how much God has given us. Don't let, don't let the serpent begin talking you into the one restriction. Look what he has done for us. And there's a reason for it, I'm sure, why we can't have it from that tree. Because God never gives arbitrary restrictions. When it comes to our moral, ethical law in Scripture, he doesn't just make things up to frustrate us. When he gives a restriction, it's always out of fatherly love. So now the serpent has snookered Eve into focusing on the restriction. He's got his foot in the door, and then he takes her a little bit further. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, this is a problem. Because Satan will float an ounce of deceit in a metric ton of truth. <laughs> He'll slide just a tiny little lie into a whole bunch of truth. And he's got us. Because in 2.17, God says that when we eat of the forbidden tree that we will surely die. And Satan here says that we won't die. So what happens when they eat of the fruit of the tree? Do they die right away? Appears not. Appears like they don't. Maybe Satan is right. And what makes this even worse is what, the Satan, what Satan predicted would happen if they ate the forbidden fruit happened. Now remember, he'll float an ounce of deceit in a metric ton of or an ounce of truth and a metric ton of lies, or truth, gosh, that's hard to say, an ounce of deceit and a metric ton of truth. So he's going to say 
things that sound like they're right. Because look at verse 6 and 7. Satan says, you're not going to die. You're going to become like God, knowing good and evil. What does it say in 6 and 7? She took of its fruit. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You know the biggest failure in here was her husband. You realize that? There's a book called The Silence of Adam that will convince you of that if you don't believe it. But the husband really dropped the ball, big time. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They didn't die. God said they would, and they didn't right away. But they did cut themselves off from their living and dynamic relationship with the God who is a sustainer and giver of life. Now, some people say that the Hebrew definition of death is separation. So in a way, that they were separated from God and they kind of did die there. And there is some truth to that. that that's a little bit of a debated thing. I'm not, I haven't studied and thought about that long enough to know exactly where I stand, but I do know that that very moment they cut themselves off from the giver of life. So there was a type of spiritual death that happened there. And they did sentence themselves to death by introducing the fall into the world in that very day, in that very moment. Every act of disobedience divides us from God or one another. So what's the result? When Eve and when Adam eat of the fruit, what happens? How are they divided? First, they were divided from one another. Read verse 7. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What happened? How, did, how were they divided? How do we know that means they were divided? Because they covered themselves up and they began to hide from one another. We haven't stopped hiding from one another since. And I think helpful, there's a helpful term that's kind of more of a psych, psychological term, but I think it's very helpful that this is, this is called projecting your false self. This is the natural desire and push that we all have to present a facade of ourself to one another. This is when it began to happen. This is how we hide from one another. I want you to think that I have it more together than I actually do. And I will project this pretend version of me to you in a million different ways. And we're very creative in how we do it. We hide from one another. And when we hide from one another, we divide ourselves off from one another. But not only did we divide ourselves from one another, we also divide ourselves from God. Read verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Satan wants us to live in disobedience because he knows that when we do, it divides us from God and it divides us from one another. That's his goal. But God didn't let it stay that way. He didn't wait for us to make it right. The story of the Bible is a story of a God who's pursuing unashamedly and in an unstopping way <laughs> a relationship with his rebellious kids 
and he never stops pursuing. Never. He starts that moment. Verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman. (laughs) The woman whom you gave to be with me. So it's actually kind of your fault and her fault, God. This is what we do. We deflect. It's her fault and it's kind of your fault because you put her here. You gave her to be with me. And she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent. (laughs) The serpent deceived me and I ate. It's not my fault. This is another way that we remain divided from God because he wasn't coming to condemn them in the same way that Jesus didn't come to condemn us. John 3.17 says, after the famous verse, that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn us, but to save us. God wasn't going into the garden to condemn them, but to save them. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm going to show you the way to life. It's going to take a whole Bible to get me there. And Satan's goal still today is to divide us from God and divide us from one another. And God's goal is still to unite us. Because go back to the very first chapter of Ephesians. One of the first messages that we, that we talked about is Satan's goal is to divide us from God and one another. God's goal is this, Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. You can write it down if you want. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. So what is God's plan in Christ for the fullness of time? What is he up to? What's he doing? To unite us, to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth satan divides and jesus unites now some of you are really smart and you've been reading your bible for a really long time and you're hearing me say that jesus you know god is uniting all things together things in heaven and things on earth in in christ the bible says that so we should believe that but i thought jesus came to divide I mean, doesn't, doesn't it say in Luke 12 that households would be divided? Doesn't it say in the day of judgment that God would divide the sheep from the goats, talking about two different types of people, the ones who welcomed him into their life and the ones who held him at an arm's distance and said, I'm not interested. It sounds like Jesus did come to divide. The only division from now until forever is this, the people who receive and accept and enjoy God's gracious offer for life together with him and each other in Christ and the people who say, nah, I'm good. That's the only division between people from now until forever. Jesus reverses every catastrophic result of Satan's temptations. And here's how he did it. Adam and Eve were ashamed in their nakedness, the end of chapter 2. Jesus reversed the curse and reversed that shame by reliving their nakedness on a cross. He embraced the shame that we brought on ourselves by becoming human and living it out in front of us and accepting it and absorbing it so that in Christ we might not have death but life 
In Christ, we might not be separated from God and one another, but in him, we might be united with God and one another. And there's an interesting twist to this story. Because after humanity sinned against God, you know what happened to the tree of life? Does anybody know? They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, weren't supposed to do that. Now they know good and evil and they wanted to be their own gods and they'll spend the rest of until Jesus comes back convincing themselves, convincing ourselves that we know right and wrong better than God, even though we only see part of the picture. That's the sin behind this. We want to be God. We want to know what's right and what's wrong in our own thoughts. We don't have to go to God for it. We, we did that and now we get to live with it. And what does Jesus do? What does God do? There's another tree, the tree of life. And God's thinking, if they ate from the tree of life in the state that they're in now, they're gonna live forever trying to be their own gods. We gotta get them out of the garden. <laughs> Tells them to leave the garden, guards the garden so they never can eat from the tree of life. But God eventually brings the tree of life back to earth. You know when this happens? the very last chapter of the Bible. I'm gonna read it to you. Revelation 22, one and two. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. This is a description of, of heaven, new earth, when Jesus returns. Bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the river of the land through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Music team, you can, you can come on up to the stage now um, if you'd like. The point of this message is that only Jesus is powerful enough to heal all the ways that Satan has divided us from God and one another. And the potential of this is that we become the type of community of people who don't need to hide from one another like Adam and Eve did. Who don't need to hide from God like Adam and Eve did. A community of people who are wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Who are aware of the crafty ways that the serpent is still attempting to divide. And who find our resolution and our solution in Christ alone. Because the more we humbly turn to him, the more he shows us where the deceit is and where the lies are, and the more he shows us the way back home to the Father. Let's pray that we would be a church that becomes a healing place for one another and a healing place and a restorative place between people who are far from God and the loving Father who has never stopped looking for him. Would you stand with me and pray? Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.